McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Packing your toiletries always somehow involves a delicate game of stacking and space hacking. And then there are the times that your lotion explodes all over your adopt kit. Do you know what adopt kit is? I did not know until relatively late in my adult life. That's the thing that you put your stuff in, the toiletries. Uh, Classically, it's kind of loaf-shaped and has like a zipper down the middle. Thanks to our forever war, almost no one has an actual adopt kit and they just use a quart sized plastic bag. But stuff spilling in that is still super annoying. And that is why, one of the many reasons why I love Quip electric toothbrushes. I am genuinely a Quip user, and this is also a genuine recommendation. You can use the case that it comes in, like it's it's a commercial packaging, is also a really cool case, just case case. It's clear, it's like a tube, it looks sort of scientific, um, it has a screw uh, cap, so it's totally, you know, waterproof, totally lotion-proof. Uh, and when you get to your destination, you can use that screw cap. It actually has a little space in it. You can use it as a stand. So I will stop trying to sell this on design merits someday, but I really love that part of it. And in fact, I was at my dentist the other day, and he asked me what toothbrush I use. This is completely genuine interaction. I told him Quip, and he was like, oh, yeah, those are good. They're really nice looking. And that is, in fact... Ultimately, for me, why I like Quip, it's gorgeous. And it is nice to use something gorgeous to do something you have to do. You can start using Quip yourself. It's just $25 to start. If you go to getquip.com slash friends, that's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash friends, and you will get your first refill pack for free. $25 to start, first refill for free. Go to getquip.com slash friends, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash friends. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. Welcome to With Friends Like These, where we talk about the differences between us without letting them divide us. This week's guest is a holdover from the original incarnation of the show where that uh, title was taken very literally to mean left and right people talking together. It is Rick Wilson, friend of the show, divisive among fans. But the person I really enjoy talking to about Trump's America, he both makes me laugh and gives me hope. He is the author of Everything Trump Touches Dies, a Republican strategist gets real about the worst president ever. He is a former practitioner of the dark arts, and he is my friend. It is Rick Wilson. Rick, welcome back. Thank you, Anna. Great to be back. There is never a shortage of things for us to talk about. Um, right. <laughs> I and I hardly know where to begin, but I'm going to begin perhaps in a somewhat unexpected place, which is something that hasn't been getting 
a lot of news, or ra- rather, one thing is meeting a lot of coverage and the other hasn't. And that is, my friend, this is a tale of two summits. <laughs> okay. One of them you might know about. It's getting a lot of coverage, which is a so-called like social media conference of some kind happening at the White House, which, you know, with like um, Milo Yiannopoulos, Yiannopoulos, Yahoo, Milo Mm -hmm. Yahoo, Blipsis, Um, (laughs) Bill Mitchell. uh, Who else is there? Probably Charlie Kirk. I'm just going to guess Charlie Kirk is there. Jim Uh, Hoff, Charlie Kirk, Benny Johnson, all the usual the usual like uh, insane clown posse of Trump uh, of Trump social media fanboys, and it's sort of sad that we both can name all these people. Actually, that makes me sad because this you is know, a th- Anna. Every revolution comes with its <laughs> cast of colorful characters, <laughs> and you know, typically they're they're the first ones up against the wall. Come the counter revolution, but in this case, I think we almost ought to preserve these people when this is all over because they're a great example for others of of like how quickly people can slip into this cuckoo conspiracy world and this alternative reality of, you know, everything's a Muslim conspiracy and 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 the most outrageous lies are picked up instantly because they own the libs. Yeah. And it, it, they, they really are a fascinating thing. But I'm also fascinated by the divide inside of this group because, you know, Laura Loomer didn't get invited and, and Gavin McInnes and Alex Jones, these guys, they're all so, so <laughs> lit right now because it's like, well, we wanted to go to the White House too. What's wrong with us? <laughs> so there's two things that are funny there. Number one is like, I think not getting invited to stuff is Laura Loomer's brand now. So she should actually just embrace that. Like she's just the sure. woman who doesn't get invited to stuff. Right. And, and the other thing is, like, this is a pointless summit. Like, this this is an airing of grievances, right? Like, that's what this oh, is. It, this is not—they didn't invite any actual tech people. Right, right. <laughs> They're going to bitch about Twitter and Facebook policy for, um, for quote-unquote, shadow banning them. But they're not having anybody from Twitter or Facebook there to talk to them. So, you know, once again, as I tell people all the time— it's really not your fiery defense of Donald Trump that got you shadow banned or banned or suspended. It's mostly because you're dicks. Yeah. Right. It's well, mostly you, because you, know, you guys are assholes and you're assholes to people all the time. And and so, you know, but this plays to that sense of grievance that these people has become the definitional characteristic of Republicans. It's like the party of grievance. Rick, I think you're being unfair because dicks and assholes have uses. And well, I feel like— I am at a loss to describe what use these people are. And, and, and the, the, the summit is useless, as we've said. And so let's let's sort of hold up a mirror right now and say sure. there's another summit happening that you, maybe people haven't heard about. And tell me about that summit. Rick. You know, there's a sign in this world that American influence and prestige and trust has fallen to an all-time low. And that's right now because the Russians and the Chinese are meeting. To essentially divvy up uh, the Southeast Asia and and everything west east of the Urals, and this is the, the, the I mean I know history is boring for some people, but they are essentially undoing the Sino-Soviet split that Nixon exploited in the '60s to realign the world um, away from this gigantic global communist bloc, and now they're rebuilding this global authoritarian. Uh, you know, comedy between these people with it with a C O M I T Y between these people um, in a way that that is exactly reflective of the fact that Donald Trump has crapped on all of our alliances, that he's embarrassed himself in front of the world, that everyone out there knows he can either be waited out or bought out on any issue, 
And so these guys are not good actors. They are not friendly players. And they are going to make moves right now when Trump has weakened us around the world. And and this is a beautiful proof of it. And it is a, a tragic you know, uh, it's not even like a metaphor. It is a thing for how this country is being, you know, swirling around the drain in that all this attention and all this energy by both the media and the, and the White House itself is going into this fake fight, right, about mm-hmm. social media and sh- whatever, shadow banning. And then there's an actual right. thing of real importance happening literally on the other side of the world that the White House refuses to engage in, refuses to acknowledge – and whose um, malicious, you know, after effects are actually something that's been brought about by the president. Like he's created the conditions for that summit to happen. Right. And I, and I think that this is going to replicate out more broadly because, you know, we've already seen now that the Russians are, are doing port visits with their naval warships. Again, they're, they've, they've reactivated their blue water Navy and they're doing port visits in Cuba. And they – they they're they're doing port visits in Venezuela, and the Chinese are buying up Mexican shipping ports and and negotiating with the Mexicans at a very high level right now to realign how Mexico is a, a player in the Pacific trade matrix, and so all these things did not have to happen. There was a long strand, and it stretches back to to uh, JFK um, among Republicans and Democrats where we weren't doing the Monroe Doctrine in in the Caribbean and this hemisphere, but we did see the value and benefit, presence of both parties, you know, Clinton and Bush, you know, Bush 41 and Clinton and and uh, Obama and, and George W. They all saw the benefits of having a strong Western Hemisphere trading bloc between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada and other nations in the Caribbean. And now, you know, everything has to be this transactional, you know, dog eat dog, you know, we have to win, you have to lose model in trade, which, you know, has strained all those trade relationships. And therefore, once you strain the trade relationships, you tra- strain the political relationships. You know, one of the fundamentals of post-war uh, foreign policy was people who trade together don't go to war. People who trade together, you know, build a de facto alliance that isn't based on on, on just, you know, uh, ephemeral concepts, um, but also of, you know, the damage it does to both parties if they go to war. Well, Trump wants to, to break that trade equivalency problem into this, you know, chest thumping, you know, we're swagger in our step. Um, unfortunately, you know, if you've got swagger in your step, but you're still a punk bitch like Donald Trump, you end up getting treated like a punk bitch mm-hmm. like Donald Trump. And I was just thinking, you know, uh, there's a reason why they call diplomacy diplomacy, just in the sense that um, these relationships can be built and used um, mm-hmm. in a stronger form. And if you start hacking away at the relationships, eventually you have nothing. You know, eventually you can't do anything because you have no relationship. So you can't ask for anything. You can't get anything back. You can't make a compromise. You right. just ha- you're you're I believe the term is isolated. <laughs> <laughs> Our closest allies in in the world are right now under terrible stress because, you know, look, the U.S. and Japan, after that little ugly incident, um, we know, with the SPF 2 million, um, we built a relationship now for 70 years. You are referring to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I believe. I, I am. Yes, okay. I am. All right. We did rebuild um, that relationship. We, we rebuilt that Glow relationship in, the dark, though it in may such be. a way yes. that ensured – 
enormous prosperity between our two countries and security in the Pacific region. Well, you know, Trump is has the lovely cake from Z in China and, and, and this bromance with Kim Jong-un, and he treats our allies in Japan uh, with contempt and like and basically rolls into the meeting saying, like, what are you going to buy from me today? What are you going to buy from from the U.S. today? Um, we've got we've got you know he treats our, our our allies in the U.K. our oldest, most consequential, most important alliance by far, um, and the a, a fundamental of the Anglosphere as they used to call it, um, with with enormous contempt and enormous insult. I mean, this incident with the ambassador this week um, is is just a perfect example of it. Um, Angela Merkel, the most important leader in Europe, um, he mocks her relentlessly. Uh, he's always trying to beat down the door of of why aren't you why aren't you giving us money? Um, you know, he's turned the idea that NATO was a mutual self defense treaty into a cash and carry transactional, you know, shakedown racket. I, I, you know, I'm one of the people who has said that we shouldn't be criticizing Trump that much on stylistic grounds. And I mm-hmm. I believe that because I think a lot of misguided criticism of him does also turn into criticism of his supporters um, when you talk about boorishness or when you talk about his vulgarity, whatever. But I also think that on the world stage, that is when his style matters, right? Yeah. Like that's actually the place where what we might think of as civility, let's say. I'm, you know, like I'm not even someone. I think we should be able to argue with each other, as as at whatever volume, at whatever temperature we want. Sure. Um, I'm not a big believer in like let's keep everything civil inside the borders. But actually, where civility has a place in politics is in these in these relationships with other countries because there is no other platform except right. for war. Like there's two ways you deal with other countries, right? You either bring them closer or you attack them. <laughs> you know, if, if you draw a chart that's a, if you draw a chart that is a spectrum from um, from diplomacy to nuclear warfare. Now, let's say put diplomacy on the left side and nuclear warfare on the right side. The trick is to always stay to the left of the boom in that chart. <laughs> yes, and to stay to the left of the boom, it takes more than just swagger and tough talk and bullshitting, and. And we have seen a lot of presidents, you know, look, every president has made a foreign policy mistake or three or 10. Sometimes they're big. Sometimes they're little. Sometimes they're consequential for decades. Sometimes they're they're meaningless in the long haul. But for the last 70 years, the U.S. has had a series of very consequential, very important alliances around the world. And we built these relationships government to government and individual to individual and military to military and leader to leader. And now, you, no one can do that. I, I just was writing something the other day, and I, I had an email from a person who's a fan of my book. I, I, don't, know, I don't know this person you know, personally yet. We've emailed a bit. And this individual is stationed at a very large U.S. embassy in Asia and wrote to me, you know, I personally had been working on a thing with, the, with their minister of, of, of foreign affairs for two years. And we were at the final handshakes on all these things. Very, and I, I can't, I don't want to bust out the person by describing what it was, but it was consequential, trade-related matter, but consequential. Walks into this final meeting where they're all going to close the deal. It's going to be good news for everybody, and their minister of foreign affairs doesn't show up. And and he, the person shocked and says, "What, what happened? What's going on?" And the answer was, "Your president tweets." Hmm. 
we can't trust that you can give us anything that you've agreed to. We don't know what we don't know what he'll what he'll hold to. Can you can you assure us you can guarantee he's going to hold to the, the 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 details of this agreement? And the answer had to be no, because you can't guarantee anything with Donald Trump. You never know what he's going to say next. And I know Trump folks think that that's a great characteristic, but in in foreign affairs and diplomacy, not so much. And again, I just wish we could sort of switch our focus on this stuff um, where we talk less about his individual behavior in the domestic sphere and talk more about policy because that is mm-hmm. where it matters. And that's where there are some big differences that could be exploited. And then we talk more about foreign affairs. I actually feel like a lot of the mainstream press is almost on the same page as Trump when they cover foreign affairs. They see it just as shadow play and they see it yeah. as as transactional and about rela- like relationships in, in this McNean. very— yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, and they don't actually look at this unraveling that is happening. This— the, and there are such there are so many different ways that this could end badly. <laughs> oh yeah, you know. Oh, the, the, I mean, and it ranges from it ranges from you end up with a new wave around the world of authoritarian nationalism that uh, that the technocratic authoritarian nationalism that the Chinese are very good at practicing. And that the Russians are very good at practicing, you end up with that spreading to the former heartland of European democracy. Um, you end up with that, you know, redefining what the political landscape looks like here. Um, and the world's a very different place if that happens. Um, and you lose the ability of America because, as klutzy as we are, as many mistakes as we make, as much as we screw up, as many dumb wars as we've waged and lost and waged and won. And, and, you know, missteps, we still have a fundamental positive net impact in the world, and my, in my view at least. You know, there are still folks from American companies going out and building roads and bridges in Africa and South America. There are still Peace Corps workers. There are still diplomats trying to represent our values abroad. And, you know, if our value is an extended middle finger from the top, it's hard to make those cases to folks out there in the world. And if we're saying to countries, hey, you need to reform, you need to, to, to push for a free press and rights for rights for minorities and 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 for women and all these other things. And they say, wait a minute, you you keep kids in cages on, on the border. Fuck you. Wait a minute. You say the press is the enemy of the people. Fuck you. You know, they're going to they're going to keep doing the things they do um, and not follow a better, brighter example if we don't set one. Well, speaking of slipping into authoritarian nightmares, um, let's turn our attention a l- little bit more. Pardon me while I slip into something more authoritarian. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we speak, uh, Trump is uh, on his way to deliver an address in the Rose Garden where it's expected that he will announce some sort of executive action, right? Right. To uh, include a citizenship question in the census. I think that the debate over this has gotten a little bit um, polluted over uh, the fact that people who wanted to ask this question were racist, but it's it's not necessarily racist to ask this question. That is not the problem with this question. <laughs> the problem right. with this question has to do with, you know, the census and what it's supposed to do. And it's also the census is in the Constitution. We're supposed to do it every 10 years, right? That is correct. And Trump is like— He's using it as a playing card. He is. He is. And and here's my here's my 
10,000-foot take on executive orders. They serve a legitimate function in government in certain extreme circumstances. And they are a legitimate exercise in certain circumstances of executive power to shape and craft executive policy in the confines of the law. I am not a fan of executive orders um, used as, as a way to merely set policy and to merely replace the law. And hey, look, I, I was not a gigantic fan of presidents on my side using executive orders, and I always warned people at some point, the Democrats are going to come along and they're going to say, hey, well, you know, Reagan and Bush did this, so we're going to do it. And you know what? Obama did that. He was frustrated and he did a series of executive orders that Republicans tore their hair out over. They lost their shit. And you know what? And I think in some of those cases, they were right to do so because it was, an, it was, an, it was a way in which not just Barack Obama, but any president was exceeding the, the constitutionally mandated powers of the executive. And fast forward to uh, Donald Trump, who can't get anything passed legislatively. I mean, he's, the, the, honestly, the tax cut was, was belonged to Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, and they told Donald Trump, keep your hands behind your back and keep your mouth shut. We'll pass this for you. You can take credit. Um, he can't pass anything. So what he does is uses executive orders as a tool to stoke the news cycle on Fox. Right. And, and this is like, so again, like I part, part of me wants to have an argument about the question itself, but there is this huge constitutional issue in what he's doing, which is he is overriding both the legislature and the Supreme Court by doing this executive right. order. Right. It is this ultimate power grab. Like it seems small to people perhaps, but this is a case in which the census falls under the jurisdiction of the legislative branch to begin with. The Supreme Correct. Court has weighed in on this. Correct. And he is doing this for the most petty of reasons. Right. And he's doing this to keep the Stephen Miller, Peter Navarro, yeah. Steve Bannon demo happy and Ann Coulter and these people happy. You know, and they're, they're, they want to ask everyone in America, are you a citizen or not? Because they can't go out and ask, um, are you an illegal? Can we round you up and put you in the truck and send you to the camp uh, on the border uh, to separate you from your kids? They, 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 they recognize that's a bridge too far, even for their for now. audience. For now, For it now, is. for the moment. Yeah. But I have a fundamental, and this is where I think, you know, the, the, the liberal conservative horseshoe may someday, the principal conservative horseshoe may someday meet, is people, in my view, ought to be skeptical of unlimited executive power. Hell yeah. People ought to be very, very, <laughs> very nervous about it. And, yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to imagine um, right now, looking back and seeing those executive orders Obama did were kind of trivial for the most part, but they were – a lot of them were kind of trivial for the most part. Um, in this circumstance, however, you know, we have things that, that are consequential wired into the Constitution, mm -hmm. okay? You know, whatever people's belief in healthcare being a right or not, healthcare is not explicitly mentioned in the Constitution. The census, in fact, yes! is. <laughs> the census is a hardwired part of the operating system. It's part of the kernel of the operating system. And the fact that he's screwing with it like this for political short-term gain, um, you know, it really ought to have, it, it ought to be a moment where principled conservatives who just love Donald Trump so much because he's so strong and brave um, sack up for about five seconds and say, Mr. President, th this is the wrong thing to do. And you are abusing executive power. And someday, 
there will be a Democratic president who will come along and they will use executive power like this and we will all live to regret it. I even, as you maybe can guess, I even don't like that argument. I, I mean, I feel like just it's just wrong, right? It's just like it, I don't even want to talk about what if a Democratic president did this because we are looking at a very specific example in which right. it oh, could not I, be I mean, clearer. I think that you know, I, I think that this is this is one of those black letter constitutional law questions. Mm-hmm. And there is no argument whatsoever. There is no argument whatsoever for once the Supreme Court has spoken that you get a do over, that you get to try again, that that if you if you failed the first time, you get to you get to tweak a comma here and a comma there and go back and do it again. Oh, we're switching lawyers. Therefore, we have to make the whole case again. Bullshit. That is not how this how the rule of law works, except for Trumpers. Yeah. And and I think that one of the things that that terrifies me about the whole situation is this is one more normalization of of how much they're willing to do for a for a short-term win. Yeah. This is this is one more normalization of the law doesn't matter, the balance of powers doesn't matter, the constitution doesn't matter. And for people who fetishize the Supreme Court the way they do, People who, who who literally will say, "Well, I can't vote for any Democrat because because Trump's going to get two more Supreme Court justices, and that and therefore our, all of our dreams will come true." Um, for people who fetishize the Supreme Court like that, they're certainly contemptuous of it when it doesn't do what they want. On that note, we're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, um, I have a quiz for you, Rick, that actually dovetails exactly into our conversation. I, right. I think you will enjoy it. We'll be right back. No one really has time to go to the post office. You are busy. Who has time for the traffic, the parking, lugging all your mail and packages? It is a hassle. That is why you need Stamps.com, one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates the need to go to the post office, and it saves you money with discounts you cannot get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print U.S. postage 24-7. Any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, you just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It is that simple. With Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time and money. It's no wonder that over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. And right now, my listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in friends. That's Stamps.com, podcast microphone at the top of the page, and enter friends. Friends, let me talk to you about FrameBridge. If you listen to the show on a regular basis, you already know that I am a huge fan. I especially love FrameBridge for the way that you can take like a snapshot, something you put up on Instagram, and make it a real thing that is a real gift to someone. And because I know that my in-laws do not listen to this show, I can tell you right now, that is my latest use. Uh, As I believe I spoke about last month, I went to see them at the shore last week, and we took a kind of official family photo we were all asked to wear red, white, and blue, which, you know what, not my style and my family, like we're more of a wear something 
uh, people, but you know, this is like it's, it was it was very Pinterest worthy. This photo, and obviously very Instagram worthy. And although I know that they're going to do um, big glossy prints of this, I can get a print of it to my mother in law this week, and it'll be something she'll have right away. And I know it will make her happy. Along those same lines, I also just ordered a print of myself. Uh, well, it's not really me. It's Megan Rapino, uh, and my head is photoshopped onto her head. But um, it's funny, and my dad likes soccer and me. And since I don't really do the the Rapino pose perfectly, I just decided to I'll co-opt her pose. I don't think she'll mind, and my dad is going to get a little printout of that that I know will make him happy. Because Framebridge does not cost a lot. It will cost even less if you go to Framebridge and use the code FRIENDS. All of their prices start at $39. All shipping is free. Get started today. Frame your photos or send the perfect gift for weddings, birthdays, and special events, or just to make someone smile. Go to framebridge.com, use promo code FRIENDS, and you'll save 15% off your first order. Just go to framebridge.com, promo code FRIENDS. Rick. All right. I'm going to read you a quote. All right. By someone that used to identify as a never-Trumper. Mm-hmm. It now does not. Let's put it that okay. way. I would like you to name the turncoat. Go ahead. All right. Some of these are easy. Some of these I, I think anyone would get, but <laughs> okay. it'll be fun. History isn't kind to the man who holds Mussolini's jacket. The ma- Oh, yes. I know who did this. Um, oh, wait. I heard this the other day, and I laughed about it. It's a good line. It is a good line. I'm gapping on this one. I'm sorry. I think you would do. You eventually would have narrowed it down to there are only two or three people who are actually funny about their critiques of Trump, uh, and then change their mind. And that is Ted Cruz. Ah, that is Ted Cruz. Yes. All right. So here's the next one. We are not going to let Donald Trump dismantle the Bill of Rights. For five and a half years, every time he got to the floor and try and push back against an overreaching president, we got accused of being partisan. When we do it against a Republican president, maybe people will see it as a principled objective like it was in the first place. Is that Mike Lee? Mulvaney, Mick Mulvaney, cabinet Mulvaney, member uh, Mick Mulvaney. <laughs> I'm, I'm not batting a thousand today. Sorry. No, it's all right. It's all right. These are some of these. They kind of blend together because they're all along the same lines, right? But again, another one that uh, will you could probably get by narrowing down, race-baiting xenophobic bigot. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's such a broad category. Oh, come on. Um, no, so the person who called him, this person called Trump a race-baiting xenophobic bigot and continued to say— Oh, that, well, that's Lindsay. Yes, that's Lindsay. All right, good job. And next one, quote, he's playing the American public for suckers. What he gets is a free ride of the White House, and all we get is a lousy hat. Um, uh, wait, 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 that is— um. That's Mitt. Yes, you're right. It's it's That's the Mitster. Mitt. Very Mitt good. Romney. Very very good. Yep. Next one. It is not acceptable to ask a moral, dignified man to cast his vote to help elect an immoral man who is absent decency or dignity. Voting for Trump would be validating his immorality, lewdness, and depravity. Wow. Is that Eric Erickson? Kind of close. It's another sort of um, rotund radio personality, and that is Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck, <laughs> who now like has the red cap and everything. Okay. Yeah, he's uh, they, they they've all used the, what I call the sovereign remedy of socialism. 
Mm-hmm. And it's 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 well, I I I I don't love everything Trump does, <laughs> but we have to acknowledge the good. And if and the choice is only between Trump and and full red banner communism. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, that that is how they justify it, and that is how what they will say as the world crumbles. But uh, continue our, on our tour of the Never Trumpers, okay. former Never Trumpers. He is a very touchy and insecure guy. He's thin-skinned and sensitive to criticism. He can't have a conversation about policy because, quite frankly, he doesn't know anything about policy. Um, <laughs> wait, read that again, please. I'm sorry. He's a very touchy and insecure guy. Thin-skinned and sensitive to criticism, he can't have a conversation about policy because, quite frankly, he doesn't know anything about policy. You should get that's, this one. You really should. Is that Marco? Yes, it was Marco. Yeah, ding, ding. I thought so. I thought so. Okay, next. I will never vote for Donald Trump because I stand with certain principles. I stand with small government and free markets and religious freedom and personal responsibility. Donald Trump stands against all these things. He stands for Planned Parenthood and trade restrictions and targeting of political enemies and anti-morality, foreign policy, and government domination of religion and nastiness towards women and tacit appeals to racism and unbounded personal power. Wow. God, that sounds like like one of my rants, but I'm still anti-Trump. Yeah. (laughs) This person Uh, is not. This person is not? Yeah. This person has now said that in 2020 he will— you I guess he said probably vote, but he I, that that is not the most recent statement. I believe he's now. You got me on this one. I'm sorry, I got him drawn a blank. Ben Shapiro. If I'd read it in a really fast, oh. if read it really fast and in a high pitched voice, you probably, probably would have gotten Anna, it. If you, if, Anna, if you read it, it <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, and then dick. I think we're going to wrap up with this one. Trump is a philosophically unmoored political opportunist who would trash the broad conservative ideological consensus within the GOP in favor of a free-floating populism with strongman overtones. That was in a written column. Uh, He also said one of my favorite uh, Trump slams um, is an aside after one of the debates. Part of what's going on here is in that last debate. Let's be honest. Carly cut his balls off with the precision of a surgeon, and he knows it. Um, Carly cut his balls off. Man, I remember that debate and I remember that moment. That's Rich Lowry. Yes, ding, ding. That Good job. Rich. I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and in case the, the audience is unclear on this, every single person in that list has now capitulated in one form or another. Um, I guess I, Romney might be the only one who I feel like has that single flittering fleck of dignity. <laughs> Just sort of wavering in the wind. Well, I, 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 like I said, I think that that right now, the uh, you know, I, I joke about this a bit, and I don't, and I, and I don't care, by the way, about what I'm about to say. I don't. It doesn't bother me that this is the case. You could fit the serious never Trumpers in a table around a, at Waffle House, um, and and I, it doesn't bother me. I do not mind being in a minority of a minority of a minority at this point. Um, I have a great sense of confidence in in the rightness of my position. I wake up every morning ready to get in the fight, and 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 I know all these people um, who are publicly for Trump, who are still privately looking for their strategy when he collapses. 
who are still privately going to say, well, you know, man, I had to. I mean, I, I, you know, it was tough. I had to keep the business going and I got people to feed and a mortgage to pay and, you know, and, and the pressure was so high and blah, blah, blah. And it, I pity them. I feel for them. And the ones who believe that this is some great new moment in American history, you know, those people are disqualified just on their own, just on their own hilarity. You say that stuff sometimes, and I always love to hear it. Very invigorating. I do sometimes think we are, you know, laughing our way to the apocalypse. Oh, we may well be. (laughs) Listen, it's also why I get up and fight every day about this thing. It's also why I am consistently looking for ways to to find a scenario where where um, people on both sides of the political aisle tool up appropriately uh, in sufficient numbers to take this guy out, and make him a one-term president. And and it's why I it's why many of my Democratic friends who hate getting advice they're like, well, you didn't beat Trump in 2016, so you can't say anything, and you've been bad in the past, you know. Those of us who have lived this thing and watched it very closely um, and, and who understand what, what he's building in 2020 recognize that the risk factors of a Trump administration unbounded by a presidential election um, are an order of magnitude greater than what we've experienced in the first uh, couple of years of this thing. So it's going to get very ugly. And, and again— no one should expect any any you know emergent heroes in the GOP elected world to stand up and 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 throw down with Donald Trump and make this a huge uh, uh, clarifying moral moment. But you know, uh, again, I can't do anything else but keep scrapping. <laughs> um, I feel like this is a good opportunity for, for me to note that I have made a, a um, executive decision to not talk about the advice that you might give Democrats. Because <laughs> I like you too much. You mean like pay attention to the Electoral College because yeah, it's the only thing that matters? You know, that's, we, it's just that we could we could argue about particular things. Paying attention to the Electoral College is actually a fairly, uh, that's a structural decision that I think I, I, I can get behind. It's how you pay attention to it that matters. And... You know, leftists and rightists and where the wither the Democrats. I think that's the thing where I feel like, you know what, maybe as we get closer to the general, I'm going to have to unplug my ears, you know, and listen to the never Trump people about how to win the, you know, the big enchilada. Uh, and Anna, one thing I one thing I try to keep telling folks on, on, on the other side of the fence, I'm not telling you guys to not be progressives and not be liberals and not believe certain things. I think the threat of Donald Trump is greater than the threat of of various progressive issues okay. by far. I think he puts people at much greater risk in the long term. Um, and I think it's important that that 2020 be a campaign that is run with discipline and by the numbers and smartly and in the right places with the right messages because campaigns are not about telling the truth. <laughs> Campaigns are not about telling people the, the the exactly everything you want to do in your in your heart of hearts. Yes, and you ought to know. I will. I should it. know. <laughs> Donald Trump did not tell people, "Hey, I'm running for president, so I can monetize this thing for my family and and uh, and cash in." Um, that wasn't what he said every day. Um, and and 
there is a benefit to to speaking to the right people in the right places using the right words. And that benefit is what politics is fundamentally about. I know that you your advice comes from a place of love, Rick. I know that. It does. Um, it does. It's, it's tough love. It's tough love. <laughs> and it's salty sometimes. And I guess I'm just going to have to hit bottom a little harder before I, I really, like I said, I mean, maybe I won't even put it that way. I'm just right now, I think we're both fighting the fight that we think matters. And I also think that there's a good long bit of runway before like big decisions have to be made on one way or another. About, yeah. like, whether the Democratic Party, I think this is a robust debate that's happening. Um, I hope, and also, you know, people like me, like, I, if it's Biden, <laughs> I will drag myself through, you know, broken glass to vote for him. I'll hate every yeah. minute of it, but I'll do it. And I think I speak for a lot of, a lot of progressives that way. Like, and I will every, campaign. Yeah. I will, I will get out the vote. I will do all of the things. I worry a little bit that if it's someone progressive, the moderates are not going to see the same urgency. Well, I, I think I, I think if it's not Bernie, there will be some people on the progressive side that that uh, are cranky. Um, and I think you know he endorsed Hillary in sixteen, but wasn't exactly out there like a fireball every day, um, you know, trying to motivate his people. Um, but again, it to me right now. I think the Democrats have a very broad field. They have people with varying levels of seriousness. The field is going to shake out a lot more Mm -hmm. between now and even the next time we talk. We'll lose two or three more of the lower tier people before we talk again, I'm sure. And it's going to resolve itself down to one fundamental question. Which candidate is going to be the best one in an election, as are all re-election campaigns for president? All All those campaigns are a referendum on the incumbent. Which one of those people is the strongest and best person to make the case against the incumbent and make it a referendum on Donald Trump? Because that's what the election is going to be. I think we'll end there because that is a place we can agree. All right. I like agreeing. I like to end agreeing at least, even if I I know know we'll be back. You know, I may we'll we'll continue this conversation hopefully for for not too much longer. Um, in terms of who the Democratic primary, yeah, uh, I suspect it's. I suspect it's going to shake out um, by the fall. We're going to be down to three or four, and um, it, it'll get and it'll get vicious. I know that, but I also am, am cautiously optimistic that Democrats will will girl up, <laughs> 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 uh, or, or you know whatever appropriate gender identity you want to use. Uh, pull up, put on, put on their big person pants, um, right. And, you know, work to, to, to defeat the bad guy. Like that, in all the superhero movies I know, <laughs> eventually yep. at the end, the infighting stops and the Avengers assemble. And that is my hope for the Democratic Party. Precisely. On that note, thank you so much, Rick. We will see you next month. Talk to you soon. That is it for the show. I'm going to keep it short this week because I know everyone is quite busy. I haven't asked you in a while to rate and review. So please rate and review wherever it is you get your podcasts. But even more important than that, please, wherever you are, whoever you are, take care of yourselves. Take care of yourselves.